Good morning. Our uh, passage reading uh, for today that Kevin's going to preach through uh, this week and next week, correct, yeah. is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Before I read this, I'd just like to say one thing about it. Um, when Kevin preaches about spiritual warfare, one thing that is good to consider when we read this now is that we're in spiritual warfare right now here in what we're doing. This is part of fighting against the world and the flesh and the devil right here, right now, worshiping God. So don't lose sight of that. It's incredibly important when you're considering this passage. So starting at verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all power and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let us pray. Father God, here we are this morning before no simple words, but words that come from you. And so enlighten us this morning, make them come alive in our souls, strengthen us, guide us, direct our paths through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this. But I really love this painting at the front of your bulletin. I've actually had the opportunity to see this painting in person. It's in an odd kind of place. It's in St. Petersburg, Florida. But for the artist who painted it, uh, I've been to both of the major art galleries that contain his art. One's in Spain. One's in uh, the, the Tampa, Florida, St. Petersburg area. I really appreciate this painting. And I, and I have to give that warning because we kind of live in this council culture where if you say you like one thing by somebody, well, if they ever did anything that was uh, not up to snuff, let's say, you, you get in trouble for it. But this painting is actually was painted by Salvador Dali. 
And it was painted by Salvador Dali at a time in his life where he was struggling. You see, uh, he lived most of his life in Barcelona, or if you've been there, uh, you know they pronounce it Barcelona. Barcelona. uh, Spanish, Spain Spanish, right, Nancy? Sounds different than uh, the Spanish from South America and such. But um, Barcelona in the 60s had this massive flood. And in just a matter of moments, 400 people passed away and died. And so in this painting, and and, and at this time also, there were great advancements in uh, the medical realm. We had uncovered uh, DNA, you know, the the basically architect, uh, the the blueprint of the cell, the blueprint of of physiologically so much of the information of, of... who we grow into being at a physical level. God's basic blueprint dropped in each and every cell. And so to the left side of the painting, kind of in the center, you can see this spiral kind of double helix um, depiction. And, And that's intentional. It symbolizes the beginning of our lives. That at the beginning of our lives, we're at this small molecular level. And then on the opposite side, we have the formation. We see molecules, the formation of molecules on the right side. And yet, on this right side, if you look really closely at the molecules, it's hard to see it on the bulletin, but in person, you can clearly see it. It's of a bunch of Arab gunmen pointing at one another. They're guns. And what he was depicting in that is the fact that the physical will betray us. Our body will break down. The molecules, the cells within our body will ultimately come to a climactic end, whether it's in in the floodwaters of a flood in in Barcelona or if it's uh, at the ripe old age of 100. At some point, the body will fail from, from the beginning, from the left to the end at the right. And yet then at the center of it all, at the center of it all is this spiritual picture in this painting. See, what you actually see here is a depiction of the Spirit of God, the hand of the Father reaching down to grab the dead body of Jesus Christ. And actually, if you see to the top or left, that's actually of the prophet Isaiah. How Isaiah foretold that There would be this great deliverer. And if you look in the clouds, and it's hard to see on the bulletin, but there's actually a depiction in this little circle, the swirl there to the left of Isaiah, Mother Mary holding the infant Jesus. And the point of Dolly was to say, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus at the center of all things, the center of this chaotic breakdown of the body is a rescue plan instituted by God to deliver us from moments that we struggle in spiritually to make heads and tails of, physically to make heads and tails of. And in one aspect, this painting tells us, can help lead us into our text today. So that's why I love the painting, even if I don't always agree with everything the painter ever did. 
we don't tend to appreciate the fact that we are in a battle, especially a spiritual battle. And yet in the next two weeks, as Paul closes out this letter, he wants us to understand a little bit of what Dolly apprehends in this painting. Don't go through life just thinking everything is from left to right. That the two dates on your tombstone, those things don't tell the ultimate reality of life. Because there is a vertical reality in the midst of life and death. Because something spiritual has taken place. A cosmic reality foretold by prophets like Isaiah. When God reached down and crushed death and coming, living and dying himself. Brothers and sisters in Christ, whether we like it or not, we have a part to play in God's battle. One of the things a comfortable American church usually does not want to hear, but still biblically true, is we need to be ready to fight as Christians and fight in God's way. And of course, how a Christian fights is not supposed to be how other religions fight, or even sadly, sometimes Christians misconstruing the Bible have fought in history. We're not supposed to be zealots and uh, like the Muslim Taliban, though I saw several news articles this week that were unceremoniously trying to say there really is no difference between the Taliban and an evangelical Christian. Bunch of lies from the pit of hell. The kind of conquering, though, we are called to do in this life is conquer, the conquering that Christ modeled in the, his first coming, a gospel-like love. And we'll see this more next week. And the only armor we're supposed to wear, the, the weapons we're supposed to use, are the weapons he carried in his life and armor. But for this week, we must remember the greater point. We are a part of God's, God's cosmic painting of his battling for this world. And our part begins in verse 10 of this passage where we read, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now the word strong there in the Greek, we bumped into this word before um, in previous sermons. It's the word dynamis, which of course is the word we get for dynamite. The word dynamite comes from that. And while there was no dynamite in the era of Paul, this word still was no less explosive when Paul uses it, this dynamis word. We are to find our explosive power, not in us, not in us, not to be strong, to be strong for strong's sake, but we are to find our dynamic power, our dynamis, in the person of Christ. And it's interesting because a popular habit by us Christians that we often develop and fall into is the fact that first we try to be strong in our own strength, and then only if that fails... Only then will we trouble God with prayerfully seeking him. And yet the Apostle Paul here at the very beginning would say to such line of thought, no, 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 you you have it all backwards. Our life in Christ is not one where we're supposed to go and do and try to do our best. And if we can't do enough, then seek God for help. No, rather, we are to be a people who appreciate our own weakness at the very beginning without Christ. We have to go to him for power and for strength. And and really, that's a little bit of what Rob was saying. What we're doing here, in part, is we have come together as a community for power and for strength. 
I've said this before, and I know last time I said this, a few of you commented later on in the week, like, that's kind of crazy. But I've had moments on a Saturday night at 10 p.m. or after 10 p.m., less than 12 hours away from the worship service, where I deleted my entire sermon. And I, I write manuscripts. These are usually about 18 pages. Deleted the entire sermon. And the reason why I deleted the entire sermon is I realized the whole thing I had written in my own strength. I hadn't sought the Lord out in prayer. I know that in my own strength, I have nothing worth saying. I know myself well enough to know I really don't have anything to offer you personally. I really don't. I'm not an inspirational individual, but I do know of a God who is. And a God who can arm me with power and a God who can arm you with power as we continue fighting through this world, stammering to get along, trying to not get distracted at the battle at the center of all things. Through the power of the Spirit, God is able to do something truly explosive. A moment of dynamite that is impossible without Him. Remember those pop cap guns that used to have the red piece of paper? I don't see those, I think, anymore. I don't know. Maybe those aren't made anymore. But you could make it so your little toy plastic gun sounded like a real gun when you pulled the trigger. It sounded explosive, but really you were just busy firing blanks. That's us as Christians without seeking God's power. We're people firing blanks. We're powerless. The only way we can fire, fire real bullets to help conquer the kingdom of God is joining the fight at the center of all things, the center of the spectrum of life, the grander cosmic planting of God that we find ourselves in, called this present age. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, but I'm at a low point. I'm at my wit's end. I have nothing to offer. Well, then you're at a great place to put the armor on. There is this moment. Let me get the chapter before I go away here. There's a moment in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 12. And a, a small remnant of people have finally returned to the promised land after the first destruction of the temple. When the first temple, temple was destroyed, the Babylonians uh, sacked the city. They took uh, some Jews captive in Babylon. Some Jews fled into exile into Egypt. And then uh, some of the Jews who were taken captive in Babylon fell so much in love with Babylon that when it came time to go back, when Darius the Great had the decree to allow the Jews to go back to build Jerusalem, they said, no. I kind of like this pagan culture. I like this pagan city. I don't want to go back being a Jew. I'll stay here. And so there was only this small battered remnant that kept going, that came back to the city of Jerusalem. And Zechariah talks about this moment where God, in one sense, is talking to this small group that's come back. And he said that's been battered and bruised and beaten and, and over 70 years they've, they've just experienced some of the worst realities of life and he basically said in you I'm going to show great strength he actually uses he uh, Paul is in one sense paraphrasing that moment when he's talking to the Ephesus church that's just this small church Christianity is not the world, world's largest religion at this time this is just a small household kind of church. 
And he's saying, God's really going to show His power in you. So put your armor on. Get ready. Get ready. And now moving on to verse 11, we read, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now this is interesting because thus far we have missed something that can be clearly seen in the Greek. Actually, um, and it's the fact that these verses are written in the second person plural. I know what some of you are saying. I didn't come here to have an English lesson. What does that mean? It means that the southerners are right. The word y'all is a word in the Bible. That sometimes when we read you and we take it individually, put on your armor, we take that individually. Paul in this moment is talking to all of us. He's saying, y'all need to put your armor on. Myself included, you're included. You all need to put your church clothes on. You all need to get your swords. You all need to get your helmets. And you all need to get your breastplates. Paul is saying, you congregation of Ephesus, you congregation of Old Goshenhoppen, you congregations that follow the Word of God, you need to get your armor on, and you need also to get your armor on together. Not just the pastor. Not just this person who might be on the consistory, not that person, but all of us. When we gather together in one sense, we're busy, as Rob was saying, readying ourselves to go back out into the front lines together. And there's something else lost on us modern readers. And it really comes to when you understand ancient armor. This is why history is good. You can never put on over your clothes, the ancient armor by yourself. You needed other people to help you put the armor on. Fellow soldiers had to help their other soldiers get dressed for battle. It was a give and a take. You needed help, and if you needed the, and you needed to help others get ready for battle. So what is an ideal church community? Ideally, a church community is a place where we all help one another be ready for the fight. That's been ongoing in humanity since we fell into sin. We don't tend to think of church communities that way. But in a simple sense, a church community in large part needs to be a place where you've been made ready to battle potential threats with explosive power that directly comes from God but also an ideal community is one where you help others also get into their armor. From the least of us to the greatest. And so how are you helping others get armored up for the ongoing fight at the center of all things? Lots of times we as Christians love to complain. I remember complaining uh, at times about a church. I was at um, a PCA church in St. Louis, I would, for instance, complain about the pastor, complain about the direction of a lot of the ministry. I would grumbler, 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 grumbler. And it had this unfortunate reality, in my opinion. I've come to not want to be in churches like this. It was a church of about 600 members, 900 attendees, over two services on Sunday. And so I never really needed to join the fight, I felt. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, help me, but I, there were enough people lying around that I didn't really have to join the fight with others. And I developed a really bad habit early in my Christian walk of just 
you know, the, the, Bruce talked about this line also on Thursday, but ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We, we can develop a bad habit where we only know half the equation. I don't like how the church is putting my armor on. But we haven't really gotten invested in putting armor on others and finding areas we can serve the battle lines. So, the first part we can see is, yes, I go to church to be built up for the battles I spiritually face in this life. But that second part, that second half is easier to forget. The y'all is easier to forget. I'm supposed to see a place where I'm also to play a part in helping others get their armor on. Can I ask you a personal question? Why are you here at Old Goshenhoppen today? Hopefully it's not just so that uh, you might be equipped, but also maybe God has brought you here, your unique gifts, so you can help bless this outfit of soldiers as well. That you might also help equip others. And honestly, if you're not prepared to do both, to have people both help you put your armor on, but also help put on armor on others, You're only doing half the equation here in this passage as a soldier of the Lord. And why do we need this armor? The second half of verse 11 talks about it. That y'all may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And what kinds of schemes of the devil? Well, let's quickly read verse 12 before we answer that. Because verse 12 will help us understand context. Verse 12 reads, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So back to verse 11. Now, when we typically think of how the devil afflicts us, I would guess a great many of us have a Dana Carvey kind of perspective. Now, hopefully most of you are sanctified that this You completely miss this illustration, but Dana Carvey used to have this skit on SNL where he was the church chat lady. And the church chat lady would interview people and come to the conclusion every time somebody fell out of step, well, could it be Satan? And Satan was to blame for all personal sins that somebody endeavors in. That's not really what Paul's saying here. Actually, as we've studied in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, we even talked about that downstairs today. Uh, the old man is more than sufficient to find its own problems within us. We're, we're capable of finding sin, unfortunately, all too easily in this world without Satan being the cause of it. We are spirit-indwelled believers. We are believers that have the dynamite of God, the dynamis of God within us through the Holy Spirit. When we sin, that's an old man problem. That's a flesh problem. That's, that's a self-inflicted wound. No, actually, the, that's a micro-level look and, and a misapplication, Paul is saying here. Really what Paul is saying, at the macro level, we wrestle against the schemes of Satan. And sometimes, unfortunately, those schemes of Satan will come in the form of governments and authorities over us.
I mean, if you don't believe me, let's just think for a moment. Where is Paul when he writes this letter? If you don't know the answer, you can just skip down to verse 20. He's in prison. He's in prison by the Roman government. A Roman government who three decades earlier was, eh, let's not worry about those Christians. They don't concern us. And in a period of three decades, and for a season that will last nearly 300 years, they will have seasons where starting, in one sense, with the apostles and those of the, the fruits of the early apostles' ministry, but onward, they will kill and persecute a great many Christians. We think of Christians worshiping in Afghanistan today versus last Sunday when this, the country was just starting to fall. Worshiping today in Afghanistan this Sunday is a lot different than last Sunday. Why? Because in a moment, they now have a government that has different schemes, different plans when it comes to Christianity. So there is a warning here that government can be used in order to be a a source of the problem, can be fooled into, unfortunately, being an arm of the evil one. This is a reason why the early Christian settlers in this land, it wasn't all Christians who settled this land. For every Plymouth, there was also Jamestown, which was just a business finding. But for, for those who came here as Christians, who had largely escaped the ugly religious wars that would be instituted by a monarch, they wanted a limited government because they were worried about government having too much power. As the political philosopher Hobbes rightly declared, really the only difference between somebody you call a monarch and somebody you call a tyrant is personal perspective. Roman Catholics, for instance, in England loved Queen Mary, but the Protestants, she was Bloody Mary. Perspective. So limited government was seen as a virtue because they had experienced monarchs who often had developed God complexes and would decide everything for its populace when it came to their personal life. And if you didn't agree with them, you could be counseled at the end of a knife or the end of a noose. So the devil's schemes are not within you in flesh and blood at a micro level, but found in first at this list at a more macro level in this world is sometimes governments can become the source of Christian persecution. And we have to put our armor on so that we're ready for that. But then the passage also continues, and it talks about cosmic powers in the present darkness. And that last part of verse 12 states uh, in the ESV, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, what's Paul saying there? Paul's making clear the devil is not only at work in the physical world, but there's a spiritual battle that's unseen to us with the naked eye that promotes darkness. And the word evil there in the Greek is a word that once I say it in the Greek, you'll associate it most likely with a different word in the English. Let me uh, say it as it's in the Greek. Ponerias. Or the lemma of that word is poneria. And, and maybe most of you can connect the English word that connects with that. But basically what Paul is saying to close verse 12 out is, not only does the devil have the ability to create schemes, 
with worldly institutions of power that can quickly turn on Christians, but also the devil is raging a war in a perverse spiritual way as well, both within the world tangibly and spiritually. So, and the devil would have no problem sifting us like wheat, as Jesus even once warned Peter. So we better be ready for battle, Paul says, for the spiritual battle by putting our armor on. Therefore, Paul says in our last verse we'll cover today, in verse 13, we all need to put our armor on together. We all need to help outfit one another together so that we are able to withstand the onslaughts that will come upon us. As the flood waters rise in life, whether we're speaking literally about Barcelona in the 60s or we're talking about our local communities, We need to see the bigger picture at the center of all things. We need to be ready to fight the fight that we've been called to fight. That the cosmic God has asked us to partake in and fight it with love and compassion and and with the weapons that we'll look more deeply at next week. But at the beginning of it all, the beginning of any putting on of our armor, it really begins at first with us remembering the very beginning of the passage True strength isn't us trying to do it all ourselves and then if we can't do it, then call upon God. True strength begins in earnestly seeking the Lord and His will for us as a faithful collection of people in this present age. When we behold Him, we no longer need to run and scatter like the disciples did the day that Jesus, the night Jesus was betrayed. No, the more we seek the Master who commands us in this life, the more we will ultimately be able and ready to lay down our lives for one another for the sake of Christ's kingdom to come. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that even as we began this service with the call to worship that came to us from the prophet Isaiah, You have already gone before us and fought the biggest enemy. You have fought the fight. You have conquered death. You have conquered sin. You have crushed it. And now we are like those who followed after David, after David, inspired by your power, uh, crushed the head of Goliath. We follow after you, Lord, in the field. And we charge the enemy. But we don't charge them with weapons of war that the world considers weapons. And we charge them with the weapons that you utilized. Faith, hope, and love. Righteousness, holiness, goodness. These sorts of weapons, Lord. Help us to be lights in our community. Help us to have the courage to be people equipped for the coming battles ahead. And the battles that are already present in our communities. But help us also to remember the second half, that we are to be a people found equipping others. I ask all this.